so if you have your Bibles, turn with me tonight to Genesis 25, verse 27. Genesis 25, verse 27. And we're going to just, tonight, as we are get into this, tonight is going to be the intro night. And tonight we're going to talk about the life and the story of Jacob. And uh, feel free to interact or ask questions or raise your hands or whatever you want to do uh, throughout it. So I like to I kind of talk fast, and we're going to put as much information in tonight as we can. But mostly I want you to get the story uh, of who these people are and how they relate to us uh, even today, all right? So uh, we're going to talk about the story of Jacob, and he's the father of these kids, all right? But let me give you the background and just set the stage for everything we're going to talk about this whole uh, semester, okay? So... I don't know how many of you know the history of the Jews. So we can just start out, and, and I've got some on a slide here, but I'll kind of tell you, and it's on your, uh, I don't think it's on your handout, but it's, uh, if it'll go for me. Anyhow, so we start off with the story of Abraham. So Abraham gets chosen by God. He, there we go. He follows uh, God's uh, word uh, to go into a new country, and so we get Abraham, and God chooses him because he has faith, and he counts him as righteous or right standing with him. And so Abraham goes, and he has a son named Isaac. And they're living in a land called Canaan, which is modern-day Israel. Uh, and the covenant transfers to Isaac. And Isaac uh, marries a wife, and they have a son, uh, two sons, Jacob and Esau, which we'll come back to tonight. And Jacob also gets this covenant promise, and God changes his name to Israel. Now, Israel will have 12 sons plus a daughter. And those 12 sons will become great clans or 12 tribes. And they'll sell off their brother Joseph. And we'll talk about him in a few weeks. They'll sell him off and he'll go into Egypt. They'll be in Egypt. And a famine will come into play. And long story short, the family comes together again in Egypt. But as a generation comes and goes, they find themselves in slavery in Egypt. And that's where we find Moses comes on the scene And God uses Moses to deliver them, and they go to the wilderness to get to the promised land. But wouldn't you know it, they they are like people. And so for 40 years, they wander. Okay, so we're we're now in a gigantic, enormous group of people, and they are divided. Moses divides them into the 12 tribes that they already are, and they camp around the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God, the Ark of the Covenant. You think you see off of Indiana Jones with the lid on it, right, with the angels. And they, they camp around it, and three on one side, three on the other, three at the bottom, and three on the other side. So uh, there's 12 tribes, and Levites are around the middle uh, of, the, of the camp. And so they're following God, and, and then they get to the edge of the land, and Moses dies, and Joshua comes on the scene, and Joshua brings them into the promised land, which is modern-day Israel today. And Joshua settles the land, and he puts tribes in different places, and they get different territories and different uh, areas to, to live in according to their size. But along the way, after Joshua and a generation dies, there's a bunch of hypocrisy and paganism and idolatry because of all the people in the land. And we find the time of judges. And that's when all kinds of people like Samson and these other guys, if you ever read the story of Ehud, I don't know how many know the story of Ehud. Ehud is one of those crazy stories. It's about a guy who stabs a, a very large man on a toilet. 
I don't know, just some random weird stories in the Bible, okay? And so that's in the period of judges. Randomly, people fall away. God raises up a judge. They come back, but they're really sad. They don't have a king like the rest of the world. So they vote with Samuel. Hey, help get King Saul on the throne. Then Saul unites the kingdom. And for the first time, we find one nation under God, okay? And we got a big nation called Israel with King Saul, but King Saul disobeys God, and he dies Then a God raised up a man after his own heart, David. And David settles the city of Jerusalem in Israel, one of the most prosperous times in their history. And he has a son named Solomon, the wisest man to ever live. And he builds the temple. But wouldn't you know it, he had a problem with women. And his son uh, wasn't a great guy. And his son, Rehoboam, and a rebel outcast general of a man, Jeroboam, they end up spatting and they divide the kingdom. And so you'll have 10 tribes in the northern part of Israel called uh, Israel or Samaria. And then you have two tribes or two and a half tribes really in the south following the line of David called Judah. So now you have what in the Bible is called Israel and Judah. It's all the 10 tribes in the north and the two tribes in the south. But it's now two countries with two sets of kings. And throughout that whole time, there's good kings and bad kings, but mostly bad in the north and mostly good in the south. But nevertheless, in the north, man, they just keep following, following, falling farther away from God. So God sends this big empire called Assyria, and they come and they wipe them out. And they take those ten tribes away, and the last king, Hosea. And then finally, just some years later, Judah falls the same way, and God raises up a big empire across the world named Babylon. And Babylon takes away Judah. And so now all of Israel has gone into exile, into Babylon. Well, as years go by, another empire called Persia comes to power. And they take over the known world, even Babylon itself. And under the empire of Persia, King Sirius, they allow Israel through Ezra and Nehemiah to come back to the land. And little by little, they begin to rebuild. And finally, they rebuild a temple. And we've got 400 years then remaining uh, until Jesus comes on the scene. Okay, that is the story of Israel, the whole big picture in a nutshell. And sometimes for me, I have to have like the, okay, what am I looking at? Where is this at in the scope of time, all right? So we're going to go back up to the top before all of this happens and go back and rewind to the story after Abraham and Isaac to a man named Jacob, And then through the next nine weeks, we're going to follow each tribe through this whole course of history and say, wow, how each tribe represents a personality and how each tribe does different things. And it really, really represents how we are today as people and how we follow God. So let's look at the story of Jacob. Anybody have any questions real quick? You good? All right. The story of Jacob. So you got your handouts there. Genesis chapter 25, verse 27, the story of Jacob. All right, so uh, Isaac marries this woman, and her name is Rebekah. And they have, uh, he, uh, they, he is the son of Abraham, and he has a son. But they find out, man, this is going to be twins. And through this whole process, and I don't know how this works, but basically these kids are twins. They come out, and one comes out. But the other comes out, and as soon as he comes out, he grabs onto the heel of his brother. Now, his brother is a kind of a hairy, red-headed dude, uh, and they name him Esau, or Edom, for red. And the other guy comes out, and his name is 
Jacob. And they call him that because he grabs a heel and they say that his name means surplanter or tripper. That's on your notes, I think. But surplanter or tripper. That's the meaning of Jacob. His name means tripper or supplanter. And Genesis chapter 25, verse 27 says this. So the boys grew and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. You know, that's a setup for failure right there at the very beginning. I have two kids, and you can't really pick, or you shouldn't, right, as, as parents. You shouldn't pick one or the other. But, you know, one might favor mom more than the other. And I've noticed that even in the last five years, you know, I've, I've had kids. One, for a little while, you know, Ari's a daddy's girl, and then for a little while, she's a mommy's girl. You know, it kind of goes back and forth. Now that we have two kids... If one of them is going to be a daddy's girl, the other one's definitely going to go sit by mommy, right? So here we are. We got Esau goes with dad, and Jacob goes with mom. And Esau's kind of a burly guy anyway, goes out into the field and hunts. Jacob's kind of a stay-home-with-mom-and-cook kind of a guy. I kind of picture Jacob getting his pedicure and manicure, you know, at home or something. He's got some issues. Dad's not like, dad doesn't like that. What are you looking at, John? No, that doesn't relate. <laughs> <laughs> but that's kind of that's how they go. We just lost it. Okay, so here we go. Now look, look in chapter 25, verse 29. Okay, so it says, Now one day Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Hey, please feed me with some of that red stew, for I'm weary. And therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, Hey, look, I'm about to die. So what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and he sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. That's peas, right? Peas, stew. And he ate and drank and arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Okay, this is really important. What is a birthright? A birthright is something that we don't really have so much today. But when the oldest child... Uh, was born a male child, he would receive what was called a birthright. It was the greater portion of the inheritance. In fact, it was a double portion of what all the other kids would get. So you take what all the other kids would get and you double it. That's what the eldest son would get. He basically would carry on dad's estate and dad's name and calling and really the reputation that dad had in the community. Uh, even uh, the family lineage would go through him. Basically, it would be that uh, you would become the next patriarch, right, of your clan, okay? So dad was the kind of the prophet or the priest of the home uh, or the clan and servants and all the other sons. Now, the double portion would go, the double portion of the inheritance goes to the oldest son, and he takes on the role of the priest, the patriarch of the family. And it says that Esau despised that role. Even though it was daddy's favorite, he despised that role. But Jacob, there was something about Jacob. He says, I really want to be like dad. Even though he favored mom, he saw that it was worth something. For whatever reason, Esau didn't care about getting his daddy's 10 acres of land and his daddy's old homestead. You know, we kind of relate to that here. Some, of, some kids don't want to stay home and some kids don't want to stay on the homestead and keep the farm going. But Jacob... He liked home. Esau wanted to roam around and go, go around. He liked women, and he liked hunting and be on the move. But Jacob wanted to continue into the family. So he tricked him. 
Not ever really even tricked him. Esau came in. He didn't. He was so hungry, and we, it says he was starving, but probably not literally starving. He comes in, and he really wants some food. Likely Jacob had cooked. Man, here, here he is, is cooking again. And he says, man, I'm so starved. And Jacob just says, well, why don't you just sell me your birthright? Give me, your, give me the, the family lineage. Let me be like the oldest son and take on dad's stuff. And he's like, oh, yeah, whatever, sure, just give me some stew. He's, he didn't even care. So what does that say about Esau from the very beginning? And the note is this. God was looking for faithfulness, okay? God had given Abraham a promise, a covenant. I'm going to use your lineage to bless the world. And then that lineage goes to Isaac. And he says, Isaac, I'm going to use your lineage, your, your descendants to bless the world. And it's going to go to one of these two boys, Jacob or Esau. And God is kind of sitting back and watching. How will this generation receive my promises? And I think he's saying the same thing even to today. How will this generation receive what I'm passing down, what my sons passed down, Jesus Christ. How are they going to receive the gospel? And he's looking for faithfulness. And there, even though it was like the wrong way to go about it, I think God looked at Jacob and said, at least he wants it, right? At least he wants it. He's not perfect, but at least he wants it. He was looking for faithfulness. Now look in uh, Genesis 27, verse 18. So that was the, the purchased birthright, but now let's talk about a stolen blessing. So Isaac gets old, he gets blind, and uh, he gets to the end of his days, and he knows his end is near, and he wants to uh, bless his children with this covenant blessing. He's got to pass on this tradition that God's going to bless their family. So Esau is the eldest and the favorite, so he says, hey, Esau, make me a favorite dish, go get some game out of the field, and I'm going to give you this blessing in Genesis 27. But Rebecca overhears it, and she knows Esau don't really care about it, and she likes Jacob a little bit better anyway. So she says, Jacob, hey, go, go, get, your, go get a goat, and we're gonna, we're, God's going to bless your brother, but I really think he needs to be blessing you. And so go get this, and I'll make this dish just like he likes it, and he won't be able to tell it's not, it's not deer. It's going to be lamb, but he's not going to be able to tell. And, and Jacob's like, well, he's going to know, and he's going to curse me. And he's like, well, just let that curse be upon me. He said, what if he touches me? I'm a smooth-skinned, silky kind of a man. And Esau's this rough, rugged guy. He said, well, let's get some sheepskin and, and tie it to your arms. And, and he's so old anyway, he won't know the difference. And we'll make you put your clothes on of your, of your brother, and you'll smell like the outdoors. And so that's what they do. Jacob agrees because he secretly, he wants this blessing. He wants this covenant. There's something about God that he really does want, and he knows the value of the blessing of God. Now look at this. Genesis 27, verse 18 through 25. So he gets dressed up. He goes into there, and he makes this, uh, the goat skins in his hands, and he's hairy, and she makes the dish, and they go in there, and three times Jacob lies to his father. That's important. Three times. The first time he says, Oh, yeah, I'm Esau, your firstborn son. And then secondly, he lies. He says, it was the, because his dad's like, well, how'd you get a deer so fast? He says, well, the Lord, your God, helped me. The Lord, your God, gave favor to me and brought me a quick sacrifice. And thirdly, he says, are you sure you're Esau? He says, I am. And it's real important here is this too. He didn't say our God. He said your God. So it's kind of like having these, a teenager that grows up in your house, and it's like, yeah, sure, we believe in the idea of God, and even that he wanted, I mean, get this, how does this work? He wanted God's blessing. He wanted to have daddy's estate and daddy's birthright, 
He wanted God's blessing, but yet he didn't really know God. You ever met, you kind of know what I'm, can anybody kind of relate to that? He's like, I, I've been to church, I know church, I know it's a good thing to go to church, I know good things happen to people who go to church. But he's really not my God, he's my daddy's God. And he's like, your God helped me out in this. And so he basically tricks his father, he lies to get God's stuff. Isn't that kind of ironic? Kind of totally, really just jacked up in a whole lot of ways, right? You're lying to your dad to get God's blessing? How does that work? You know, like, this is a whole other level of wrong. You know, like, you're lying to get God to bless you. You don't think God's not looking? You don't think God knows the difference between you and Esau? But yet he does anyway. And so he, he says, uh, how is it you've come so quickly? And he says, because the Lord your God has caused it to happen to me. So look at what uh, his father says. Genesis 27, verse 27. So Isaac blesses Jacob. He says, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore, may God give you the dew of heaven, the fatness of the earth, plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you. Let nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren. Let your mother's sons bow down to you. Who's that? Who is that? Esau. And he says, curse be everyone who curses you, and bless be those who bless you. Anybody know who God said that to before? Curse be those who curse you? Abraham. That's part of that covenantal blessing. So his dad comes in, and, and prophetically, the Holy Spirit comes over his dad, and he blesses him. He says, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be blessed in everything you do, and your brother's going to serve you, and those who bless you will be blessed, and those who curse you will be cursed, because that's what my daddy passed down to me, and because you're my firstborn son, Esau, uh, I'm passing this down to you. Well, Esau comes in the room much later and finds out, oh my gosh, what happened? And Jacob is actually trembling that he did this. And he says, I have no more blessing left. Why? Because it wasn't really his blessing to give. This is a family who God has chosen, and they're giving this covenant, passing it down. So he's got, I've got no more blessing left. And Esau's like, man, but you've got to bless me. With, surely you just don't have one blessing. He says, all I have. And then the Holy Spirit comes over, uh, East, uh, for, comes over his father. And look in Genesis 27, verse 39. Wouldn't you love this to be what your dad says to you on his deathbed? He says, learning of this brother's treachery, uh, he, he wept and he begged for another blessing. And it says, behold, your blessing shall be of the fatness of the earth and the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live. You shall serve your brother. It'll come to pass when you become restless, you'll break his yoke from your neck. Thanks, Dad. I wanted the pickup truck and I wanted this, and I, but I will live by the sword and live under my brother and, you know, and I'll be under slavery in my life, you know, like... What is that? So he's like, I'm going to kill, literally kill my brother. So, yeah. No, he didn't, he didn't care about the birthright. But he wanted the blessing. Uh-huh. And, and is that because sometimes generations come in and say, I want the good stuff but not the responsibility? Right? I want the blessing of God, but I don't want to care for daddy's estate. I don't want the responsibility of being the priest of the family. And we kind of want God on our own terms. Right? And then you got Jacob on the other side. He's saying, I, I'm lying, I'm cheating, I'm stealing, but I know God's good. And I know I want God. And I know I ought to be like my daddy. It's just kind of a weird dichotomy of both kids. And 
here, you got to sit back and think, well, God, why in the world did you choose such a screwed up family, right? Why in the world did you choose people who were just totally uh, uh, just off, off to the left field? And so Esau tries to kill, and Jacob, uh, so his mom says, hey, I'm going to send you to my, uncle, my brother Laban. And you're going to go off to Haran. You're going to leave the promised land and go off. So Jacob reluctantly says, okay, I'm going to go off to hide from my brother. And so he's starting to go backwards in his life now. The covenant is tied to the land. This is where God's going to bless you and keep you and multiply you. But before Jacob left, look in Genesis 28, verse 3. Again, the Holy Spirit comes over his father. Now, here's another note, too. Isaac had also gotten not to a good place in his life. He thought he was dying, but we'd find out later. He wouldn't die for decades later. He was blind. He was old. He was too early giving these prophetic things away. And he had lost sensitivity uh, to the things of God. And so he says this, May God Almighty bless you and make fruitful and multiply you that you may be in assemblies of people and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and to your descendants with you that you may inherit the land which you are a stranger. This is Canaan, Israel, which God gave to Abraham. So at that moment, the covenant, the promise of God to make Abraham's descendants a great nation gets passed. This, this, really, it's a gospel message, a good news message, because in this message is Jesus Christ. Jesus is going to be the one to fulfill this covenant, and God is choosing a family. Now get this, God is choosing a family through which to bless the world. And there's not going to be one gap in generation. God is looking for a faithful group of people, even though they're crazy as all get out. He's trying to set the stage for his son. And he has two kids to choose, Jacob or Esau. But there's something in Jacob that's seeking after God, even though he's a liar and deceiver and a cheat. And so Jacob goes off. And on the way there... He leaves his family. He goes off towards his, his uncle's house far away. And look in Genesis 28, 12. So he's on the way to Haran. He camps at a place called Luz or Luz, and he has a dream. First time in his life Jacob's ever had any kind of spiritual encounter with God. Before it's just been God, my dad's dad. You know, my dad's God, right? And he says, then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder or a staircase. Some people think it's a spiral staircase. It was set up on the earth, and the top reaches heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending. They're passing each other on the ladder. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, grandfather, and the God of Isaac, your father. And the land which you lie now, I will give to you and your descendants. And also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You'll spread abroad to the east and the west and the north and south. And in you and your seed, all the family of the earth shall be blessed. And behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I've done what I've spoken to you. That is amazing. Okay, so here's what happened. His daddy gives him the covenant, the promise, right? But then God comes on the scene and says, okay, now Jacob, now it's just me and you, bro. Me and you. You know, every person, when you get older and you become an adult, you've got to live this life for yourself, right? There comes that moment where you're just not living under mom and dad or grandma and grandpa's uh, uh, religion anymore. You've got to make a decision. Am I going to serve God? And God shows up radically in his life, reveals an entrance door to heaven in a way, and he says, I'm the God of your grandpa, I'm the God of your dad, but I want to be your God too. And I promise 
I'm going to bless you and multiply you. I'm going to keep this thing going through your family. I'm going to use you to bless the world. And basically through you, Jesus Christ is going to come into the world. And I know your life is deviating right now, but I'm going to bring you back. Anybody ever had God do that to you before? Maybe when you were a young person, you just knew that, man, my life was going off track, but God was just speaking to you, hey, I'm going to bring you back. And that's right where Jacob's at, man. He's like, God's going to, God's got a plan for my life. And, uh, I don't know about you, but when you were when you, when I was young and go off to college, that was that moment for me when I left my parents' religion and I had an encounter with God. And it was like God is real, not just because I grew up in church. God is real because I've met Him. And so Jacob responds to this moment, and he he takes this and he makes a vow. But look what he does. He goes look down the passage. He says. Uh, he names this place called Bethel, which means house of God. I think that's in your notes. Uh, this place called Bethel named house of God. And he makes a vow. He says, okay, if you do this, I'm going to tithe all my possessions. And if you keep your promise, you'll be the Lord my God. Isn't that how we young Christians do? I don't know about you, but I've made promises on the deer stand before. God, if you bring me a deer, then I'm definitely going to pray more this year. <laughs> you know, like as a young person. Or God, if you would just do this then I will definitely be a better Christian. How many people, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many, how many people know what I'm talking about? If you would just do this, then God, I will do this. And so it's kind of like this stair step of Jacob in a sense. Okay, he's the Lord. My daddy's God. And God, if you do this, then and if, if I find out that you're real, find out that you're real and that you really do what you say you're going to do, then you'll be the Lord, my God. You see the journey that he's on? He's kind of on this faith journey. He's seeking. He's not lied to get God's promises. He's lied to get God's blessing. And now he says, all right, God, you showed up to me. I don't know about you, but if you saw an angelic staircase going up and down, how many people would just be like, okay, that's over. I'm, I'm definitely serving the Lord. Isn't that kind of crazy how sin can kind of just make us blind and we kind of compartmentalize? Like, dude, you just saw angels going in and out of heaven. You're going to say, okay, God, if you bring me back, I'll, I'll do I'll be that dude, right? And so he makes that covenant. So and here's God again. Okay, bud, I'll take you up on it. That's a pretty gracious God. He could have just killed him. He said, all right, I'm just going to use your brother. Never mind. But he says, all right, God, all right I'm going to do that. Okay, so let's look on. So he, he says, if the Lord keeps this promise, then I'm going to be his. And so uh, one of the things before we go on, one of the things I think about that is then Jesus comes on the scene you know, later and he says, you know, uh, the kingdom is taken by force. He says there are, are violent men who are pushing past others to take the kingdom. How many people know that verse? That, that, that the kingdom is, is being taken by force. He's talking to religious people, uh, and he says, violent men take the kingdom by force. And I think what he was meaning is, he says, I'm on the, Jesus comes on the scene to a bunch of religious people. I think they got all together. And he says, but you know what? All these unqualified, all these uneducated men, all these sinners who don't have anything going for them, they got no pedigree whatsoever. Did you see the masses, religious people? They are pushing over people. They're pushing through. None of them have a good pedigree. None of them have a good education towards God. None of, they're all sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes, but yet they're pushing in to either touch me, to hear me, to be near me, and that they're taking the kingdom of God past you by force. What does that say about God? Who's he looking for? Think about it, like today. Who's God looking for? The Bible says when, when Jesus comes on the scene he, in the Beatitudes, what does he say? He says, blessed are the what? 
a bunch of things. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. He says, blessed are the hungry. Blessed are the thirsty. He's looking for someone who's seeking what he has to offer. And you ever heard that, that phrase that says, uh, God qualifies the called? How many people heard that phrase before? God qualifies the called? It's like he's saying, I don't care how messed up this guy is. I just care that he's seeking me. And I think sometimes we beat ourselves up a little bit, and we think, well, I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together. But God's not really looking for perfection. He's looking for persistence, right? He's not looking for perfection. He's looking for persistence. Jesus tells at the end of, at the, end of the, uh, in the middle of the Gospels, he says, hey, it's like this widow woman, man. He, it's like this persistent widow. that She goes to this evil judge, and she just nags him all day long and all night long to get her case heard. And finally, he just gives in just because she just was so annoying. And he's like, I'm coming back to the end of the world, and I'm looking for some annoying people. I'm looking for some people who say, I'm not going to stop pressing into God no matter how screwed up my life is, right? And this is Jacob. He's totally messed up, but he's a seeker, and he's willing to get God's covenant by any means necessary. Well, Esau, on the other hand, could have had it easily, but he despised it. What does that say about uh, people? We say people coming into our churches today like that maybe are, don't look the same, they don't smell the same, they don't act the same, they ain't got it all together. But you know they're coming, right? They're coming. Uh, they're asking questions. They're curious. Uh, they may not have it all together. They may be totally sinning. They may just be, you know, shacked up. They may be on drugs. They may be in prostitution. They may be in a homosexual active relationship. But at least they're coming. They're hungry. They're curious. They're seeking. And if, look, look what God's doing with Jacob. The dude lied to get the blessing of God. How does that work? You know? Like, that'd be like somebody coming up to the pastor and lying for prayer. What? Like, how does, why would you do that? But he does. And so, look on. So he goes into this land. He's a seeker. He's totally uh, not doing it the right way. But in exile, he finds himself. And he marries the daughters of Laban. Uh, and the first one is Leah. He goes there. He makes an agreement with his uncle. His uncle's kind of like a con man, a used car salesman. And he goes there, and uh, he... Uh, gets tricked into marrying Leah. He works for seven years trying to marry Rachel, the youngest daughter, but the uncle, because uh, Jacob was drunk, and he, in the honeymoon suite, he throws his oldest daughter in, and, and Jacob doesn't know any different. It's kind of a, again, this is kind of a rated R you know, story here, but he uh, sleeps with Leah and wakes up in the morning. I guess I'm married to Leah now, and he says, well, I, need, I want Rachel, and so he works another seven years for Rachel, and so now he's got two wives, Yeah, now he's getting deceived on the other hand. That's right. He, gets, he, got, he deceived somebody else. Now he's getting deceived. So he works seven years for both daughters. He gets tricked into marrying uh, the first, but he loves Rachel more. And the Bible says in Genesis, look in Genesis 29, 31, it says, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Okay, so here, here you have... What we're about to look into is all the sons of Jacob. This can kind of get confusing, and maybe you've been in church for many years and don't know this. But on the screen right here is a picture of every symbol of Jacob's sons. And we're going to dig into what each symbol means over the next uh, several weeks. Uh, but I want to tell you just their names tonight and who their mama is, all right? 
And so first is Leah. She's the first wife. And uh, let's see if I can get this to go here. Leah's the first wife, and she's uh, not loved as much as Rachel. So there we go. Uh, the first son she has is named Reuben, which means see a son. And so she's going on, and then she has another son named Simeon. And Simeon's name is God Hears. And then she has Levi. Now, Levi and Simeon are, are those two that we'll talk about together in the coming weeks. And his name name's Added, and he'll be the leader of the Levites. And then you probably heard this name. She has a fourth son named Judah, which means praise. Now, all this time, there's this bickery between Leah and Rachel. And Rachel is totally sad she can't have kids. And her older sister is having kids because in this ancient day, to validate yourself as a woman, you needed to provide heirs for your husband. And so Jacob says, well, woman, it's not my fault. Why don't you talk to God about it? And so they don't, though. They don't turn to God. And, and they kind of, in this day and age right now, Jacob, even though he's in the uh, faraway land, he, turn, he starts kind of falling away from God. And these wives, they don't help him either. So he's already messed himself up. He's got two wives when he should only have one. And, and it didn't work out the way he thought it would anyway. And so Rachel goes and says, well, you can sleep with my servant, Bilhah. She'll be a surrogate mom for me. Uh, and she'll bear my children for me. And so she has two. She has Dan, which is the fifth son, which means judge. Then she has the sixth son, which means Naphtali, or wrestling. All right, so those will be considered Rachel's kids, but it's born by his ser- her servant girl. Well, then, uh, then Leah stops having kids, and she gets jealous now that Rachel's having. You can just see this family. This is like a Jerry Springer show, right? Uh, and, and so she says, well, you go sleep with my maid now. And apparently Jacob has no problem with this, by the way. And so that shows you where his head is at. I mean, come on now. Now you got four wives? I mean, dude, dear Lord. And so he sleeps with uh, Zilpha, Leah's maid, in Genesis 30. And so Zilpha has two sons. She has number seven, which is Gad, which means troop. Then she has Asher, which means gladness, okay? And so Leah's all happy. Yay, yay, yay. I've got uh, um, some sons again. And then we find a a dead time, and and there comes this little weird story about some mandrakes, all right? So... uh, uh, they, they, Rachel uh, sees that Reuben has come in with some mandrakes, some fruit, right? And she's like, oh, I really want those mandrakes, you know. Uh, if you, you can have the husband for tonight, we'll share him. You, you have him for tonight, and, and you can make sure your son gives me some mandrakes. Now, isn't this just a screwed up family, right? I mean, come on, let's just be honest. Put this in today. We would put these people out of church in a heartbeat, Right? I mean, they wouldn't be allowed in town. They would be the shame of everybody. And here we are. This is God's chosen family. This is the, these are the 12 patriarchs of old who are going to be seated in Revelation. I mean, come on. This is, this is this family. Seriously, God, you're choosing this Jerry Springer show to bring your son into the world? I mean, let's be real. So she says, okay, well, sure, you can have him. Uh, for tonight, and so she goes in with him, and, and Leah says, well, great, I, 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 hey, I, I, I get to sleep with you tonight because I, I sold you for some mandrakes, honey. Come on in to my tent. And so they have Issachar, which means pay for hire. <laughs> you know, uh, ta-da, I paid for you, and so we got a son named Issachar. Then they, she has another kid named Zebulun. I guess she had him for another night. I don't know if she sold bananas or whatever she did, but she, Zebulun is number 10, which means abiding. And then she has a girl, which apparently didn't count towards the numbers, and that is Dinah. Uh, 
you know, not the song, okay? Dinah, which means judge. Uh, and then finally, Rachel is pleading with God again. Plead, Rachel actually pleads with God, and she finally bears a son, and they name him Joseph. And there would be a pause in there for some time. Joseph would be adding. And uh, Joseph would become Jacob's favorite. And you remember the story of Joseph, many, coat of many colors, we'll get into later. But that's where we are. We have 11 sons, and later Benjamin's going to come on. But this family turmoil, all this is happening, and finally he says, okay, it's time to go. All right? And so it's time to go back. God kind of be stirring on his heart, and his uncle's all kinds of messed up and cheating him out of money. And, and Jacob actually gets used in a miracle. All right? Let's bring all this together. Jacob gets used in a miracle because he's uncle scheming sheep off of him. But God said, I'm going to multiply you. So Jacob kind of like cuts a branch that's speckled, and he puts it in the water. And wherever he puts the speckled branch in the water, speckled sheep multiply. They start mating. And, and he, he, he had agreed with his uncle. He said, well, you, I'll take all the speckled no good sheep, and that'll be my part of this estate. And you take the good sheep. And Jake, uh, Laban tried to cheat him out, and he hid all the speckled sheep, and he took all the good sheep away. And, and all this kind of this, again, family drama starts happening. But it seemed that every time he put that stick, the, multiple, the, the speckled and striped sheep began to multiply. God began to in, uh, increase his estate. But his family serving idols and all kinds of stuff. But God speaks to him again. God speaks to him uh, in, a, in his heart. Then God gives him a, an angelic visitation. And says, it's time to go back to your family's uh, land. Your uncle's jealous, but I'm going to prosper you. It's time to go back. So he sees a miracle with his sheep. He hears God. He gets a dream. And then as he's starting to leave, he sees all the armies of heaven. He, he has this prophetic moment as he, he's heard God. Okay, God, I'm going I'm to leave what I know and go back to where I'm supposed to go. And as he goes, he sees all the armies of heaven in a vision. But yet at the same time, having all this knowledge of God and God revealing himself and reminding him, he gets scared. Why? He's about to go back into Esau's territory. Esau's got a price on his head. He sends his servants in advance. And he says, all right, go out there. We're going to, I mean, he's got camels and flocks and donkeys and chickens and goats and dozens of servants now and all these sheep. And he's rich, really, really rich. And he goes out and he says, go see if, if Esau's going to welcome me. And they say, Dude, he's coming towards you with 400 armed men. So he freaks out. Nevertheless, he just saw an angelic host saying, I'm going to be with you, right? Okay, didn't help him any because he gets scared. He says, okay, here's what I'm going to do. We're going to stage out. I'm going to send all this blessing where you, you take some of these sheep and you take some of these camels and you take some of this and we're going to stare stiff it out. Ten of you, you know, that you go first, leave a space between you and offer him those camels and take a space between you and then you offer him these sheep and you take a space between you and then you, and maybe by the time it gets to me, We'll wear, him on by kind, we'll wear him down by kindness, and he'll be okay. And so he sends them off, and he gets his family. Now, get how screwed this up is. He puts his most loved family, Rachel and Joseph, at the back of the line. He puts his least loved family, the servants and their kids, at the front of the line. Then Leah and her sons, and says, well, if they get killed, at least Joseph and Rachel will have time to get away. This isn't the best Father of the Year award right here. And then he puts them across the creek. He says, well, if, if the ten sets of gifts don't work, you know, they're going to be at least across the creek. And if they get across the creek, they're going to kill Zilpha and Bilha first. And then, and then Rachel and Joseph get to run away. All right. Great call, Jacob. You know, good job. And that night, 
when he's trying to fix his life and figure his life out on his own and do his life his own way and get the blessing of God his own way and get back into God's plan his own way, what happens? God shows up in human form. In the middle of the night by the campfire, some dude jumps on him. Jumps on him and starts wrestling him. Jacob recognizes something is not a little weird about this. He starts wrestling back. And they wrestle and wrestle and wrestle till daybreak. And finally, he won't let the man go. He says, I think there's something divine about you. You're not going to leave until you bless me and get me out of this mess. And he says, well, what's your name? He says, well, my name is Jacob. He says, no longer is your name going to be Jacob. Your name is going to be Israel because you've wrestled with God. All right? And so Jacob realizes this and he pops Jacob's hip out of joint or he pulls the tenant in Jacob's hip. And in that moment... Jacob is changed, and this is one of the best verses I could preach this for another 50 minutes. But in this moment, he wrestles until he was broken. When he was broken, he received a blessing, and he left that place with a new name and a new walk. Now, if that's not the Christian life, I don't know what is. When you wrestle with God till you're broken, he changes your name, gives you a new identity, and he gives you a new walk. And you should leave that place knowing I have met with God. And that's what he named the place. He says, this place is now Penuel or Peniel. It is called the face of God. For I have met God face to face. And the word face in Hebrew really references presence. I have met the presence of God. And this is the wrestling moment everybody, we all have to go through. We have got to get to a place of spiritual brokenness where you cannot live in the blessing of God your own way. You have got to come to a crisis moment. Every person has to come to a crisis moment with God and say, God, I cannot do this without you. And I've tried my scheming because he was scheming again to separate his family and figure it all out and try to get himself out of a pickle. But God said, Jacob, I gave you dreams. I gave you visions. I gave you miracles. I sent you the army of heaven. Don't you trust me? Jacob still goes his own way. But now he's broken and he received the blessing. And that should be a challenge to us. And this is kind of a turning point in his life. He goes forward. He finds Esau to be favorable. He settles in the land. But as he settles in the land, just like all of us in the Christian life, he begins to settle spiritually. And little did he know, now just because he got saved here, I think in this moment is his salvation moment, personally. Just because he got saved doesn't mean he got sanctified Right? You know that when you get saved, you're still going to have issues. And his family still had issues. So even though he's the head of the family, he's still got Jerry Springer's show following behind him. Wives are all messed up. Rachel's bringing an idol from her daddy's house with her. The kids are all fighting over one another. They hate Joseph, by the way. You know, and they're all evil. These boys are evil boys. They get to the land, and they settle in Shechem. His daughter actually gets raped. Then his sons go kill the guys that did it, which, say what you will about that. And then he finds out all this is going on. He says, guys, we've got to fix this. We've got to get back to God. And so he makes his family purify themselves. He goes back to the place God first showed up to him in Bethel, going back to where God took him to the beginning. You know sometimes how that God does that? Like, I've got to get back to the beginning. I've got to get back to where God first started me on this journey. Kind of that revival moment in his life. It's like, you know what? Because sometimes you go into Christian life and, and you have that great salvation, broken moment with God. But as you begin to have this long period of time, things begin to settle down. 
and you stop working on yourself, you stop trying to fix your, get your family holy, you stop trying to get yourself sharp. And, and Jacob goes back to fear. He goes back to political games. He goes back to all this stuff. He settles. He doesn't keep going with God. As a result, his family goes, stays in the chaos. His family never gets sanctified. Uh, you'll find out later they sell off their brother into slavery and pretend he was murdered, right? That's not family of the year either, right? I mean, this is, again, troubled, troubled family. But look in Genesis 35, verse 11. I love God for this. One, one of the, this is one of the best things about God right here. Jacob settled. He'd gone back to how he was. His family's still a wreck. Genesis 35, verse 11. God had protected him and put him back in that place, and he says to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you. Kings shall come from your body. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, I'm going to give to you, to your descendants after you into this land. And he reminds him in this passage of who God is and who he is. He's saying, remember, you're not Jacob anymore. You're Israel. Sometimes we forget who he's made us to be. He went back to being Jacob. And if you look in the text and you start reading this, it doesn't ever change his name. At first, God says in this wrestling moment, you're going to be Israel. Well, then it says, well, Jacob left that place, and Jacob did this, and Jacob it never turns into Israel again. God had to go. He had, Jacob went through this season where it's like, I don't really believe who I am. I, I know God's for me and not against me. I see the blessing of God, but he didn't believe it himself about himself. How many people can relate, relate to that? Okay, yeah, God saved you, but do you believe that? Do you, do you identify with who you now are as a Christian? Are you still living with the same labels and the same regrets and the same shame and still fall into the same habits? You may be saved, but you're still living like you're not. You're not sanctified yet. And so years later, after selling land, God says, no, 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 Jacob, remember, I am who I say I am, and you are who I say you are. And then that's, that's just so awesome about God, that he would be willing to be patient with that. And God knows at the very right moment when to just give us those nuggets of words, right? I mean, if you ever had a bad week coming up and you know that God just gave you something in advance... Because little, what was about to happen, little Jacob know, I'm going to wrap it up with these few things, is that Rachel was about to die, and his most loved wife was about to die. And in death, she would give him the son, Benjamin, which would, he would make son of my right hand. Then his dad, Isaac, would die at the age of 180. And then Joseph, in, this, in between this time period, Joseph would die. I mean, Joseph, he thought would be dead, would get sold into slavery. So he loses his son, his favorite son, loses his wife, loses his dad, and then a famine comes, and it makes it almost impossible to live in the promised land of God. Okay. Thanks, God. You know, where are you now, God? What are you doing now? God, you said I was Jacob. You said you'd multiply. You said you'd make my descendants. And my favorite son is gone. My favorite wife is gone. My dad is gone. And now there's a famine. We can't even stay here. I don't even know how we're going to survive. And I'm stuck with all these crazy people. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't get any worse than this. And God says in Genesis 46, verse 3, and he reminds him again, I am... God. Jacob, I am God. The God of your father, 
Do not fear. Go down to Egypt. I will make you a great nation there. It's not the plan you thought it was going to be. But I will go down to Egypt with you, and I'll bring you up again, and Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. I'm going to restore everything you thought was broken. And you may not see it now. And sometimes in our lifetime, you don't see your kids come to the Lord. You don't see your grandkids come to the Lord. You don't see the blessing of God like you thought it was going to be. But at the end of his life, Jacob's reminded, God, Jacob, I was God for you. Your grandpappy, I was God for you. Your, your father, I've been God for you this whole time. Don't think I'm not going to be God still to the very end of your life. And I'm going to be God not only for you, I'm going to be God for your children. And there's a, gonna, there's a plan here. I'm, I'm in control. I've been doing this thing for a lot longer than you, buddy. Just hold on. Chill out. I've got this. Just trust me like I told you from the very beginning. I've, only never, I've never looked for your perfection. I've only looked for your persistence just to keep trusting me, just to keep relying on me. And so they go down to uh, Egypt, and Joseph restores the family. They find prosperity like they've never felt before, honor like they've never felt before. And at the end of his life in Genesis 49, he knows, unlike his father, when he's really going to die. And he brings all of these crazy nutheads in, and he puts his hand on them and blesses them. Prophetically, he blesses them. God's plan would be to use an imperfect family to bring his son to the world. And I think that speaks volumes of who God is. Go back here. Why Jacob? He's a schemer. He's a bargainer. He didn't always have faith. He didn't always have the patience to wait. He often feared failure and loss. He failed to lead his family as a good father. He promoted jealousy within his wives. He allowed foreign idols in his home. He lost control of his children. Uh, he, he did all these things. Yet here's this cool fact. 22 times God says, I am the God of Jacob. Think about that. 22 times God didn't say, I'm the best God. And he did that. But, you know, I'm God, I'm God. He says, no, no, no. I'm the God of this schemer, this adulterer, this, this trickster, this liar, this cheat. I'm his God. Why would a holy, righteous, perfect God attach his name to a guy like Jacob? He's gracious. That's right. He, and yet God is willing to say to you and to me, I'm willing to be your God. No matter how many times you fail, no matter how bad you are, what your name is, because I'm God of a deceiver. But what do I do? I change his name to Israel. I give him a new walk, give him a new talk, I bless him. And it's just mind-blowing to think. And sometimes we look at these patriarchs, we look at the Bible, we think, oh, God, I can't be like the Bible people. You don't want to be like the Bible people. <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't want to be like this family. But it speaks volumes that this is the family that God chose to bring his son. And what does that say about God? And what should that say about us as Christians to not think so highly of ourselves as we ought not to, like Paul says, but to think with humility 
and bear other people's faults and burdens and think, my gosh, if he can save a Jacob, if he can use a Jacob, he can use so-and-so. I mean, who am I to judge so-and-so? If God, God said, I'm the God of that deceiver, that trickster, I'm his God. I'm, I'm, I'm with him. Hey, party of two, me and Jacob. I mean, like, why? God shows how merciful he is and how compassionate he is to the human condition, how he's willing to take sinful people and see their lives transformed into the image of his son and blessed. And even though we falter and fail and falter and fail, he's patient with us so long as we are faithful. So long as we are persistent, that say, God, I, I may not get all there 100% like I want to get there, but God, I'm going to get there. God, I'm, I'm not going to give up. I want to be, I want this covenant. I want this blessing. I want this promise. I want to I be like I ought to be. But God, I know I, 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 I did this, and I, this has happened, and that has happened. But God, you are now my God. And he's patient. He's patient. Here's some things you can take away from this is, is God knows your heart. He sees where you are. He's got a plan for your life. And, and anyone can be in Abraham's blessing as long as they repent and, and put faith in, in God and his plan for Jesus Christ to come to the earth. And it says that God is looking for those who's going to seek his face. That's what Jacob was. He was a man, even though if it wasn't always perfect, was seeking the face of God. He was pursuing God's blessing. And fourthly is this. God doesn't need your help. He just asks for obedience. That needs your help to do his, his job. He just wants obedience no matter the circumstance. And you go on and says that God doesn't forget you. He's not going to forget his promises. And God always blesses the faithful. And lastly, it says God is always working to lift up Jesus Christ through imperfect people. He's always working to lift up Jesus Christ through imperfect people. I'm going to challenge you. Give yourself a break. Give yourself a break and give other people a break, right? Give them a break. I mean, come on. Anybody done what Jacob's done lately? Have you seen an army of God and you doubted and you saw the angels of God go up and down the staircase and then still tread, well, I don't know if he's going to be my God or not. If he comes through, he will. You know, have you, have you married four people and just ruined your whole family story? And, you know, I mean, just come on. God was willing to use these people so long as they would continue to trust him and his word. And if God can use them, he can use you, he can use anybody. And the challenge for us today is say, you know what, God, I can't believe, Lord, you would use this people to name an entire nation and bring your son to the earth. Isn't that crazy? Just amazing, the love for our God. He did not choose, he could have chose the perfect family to bring his perfect son but he chose probably one of the messed up, broken families there was and said, I'm going to use people like this to show you what kind of a God I am, how much I love people, how much I'm willing to endure and bear your sin just so long as you will trust my word and receive my son. And uh, with that, man, I'm, I'm challenged and encouraged. Uh, God's good, isn't he? So good, so good.